In this episode, I'm joined by a local author who's going to tell you about her new book that you can use to explore Washington, D.C. When I say book, this is not a book you'll take on an airplane or sit down and read on the couch. It's an activity book, something you can actually bring with you when you go out exploring. One of the reasons I like Washington, D.C. so much is because even though I've been a tour guide for a decade, and even though I advise people who are coming here from out of town to visit, there are still gems and nuggets that I discover all the time. So, of course, when I received my copy of the book, the first thing I did was try to do some of the activities myself. But I wanted to have the author on to talk about how someone visiting from out of town might use it too. Just like many things in Washington, D.C., the activities are potentially enjoyable by both locals and visitors. With that said, let's get started. Welcome to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. Discover the best tips, tricks, and travel hacks for your visit to the nation's capital. And now, here's Rob and this episode's special guest. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. If you want to check out any show notes from this episode, listen to other episodes, or learn about Trip Hacks DC guided tours, you can do all of that over at TripHacksDC.com. Today, I am joined by Joanne Hill. Joanne is the author of the new book, DC Scavenger, The Ultimate Search for Washington, D.C.'s Hidden Treasures. She is also the author of Secret Washington, D.C., a guide to the weird, wonderful, and obscure. If you're a longtime listener, you may recognize her voice from episode 29, where we chatted about her previous book. So, Joanne, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. I'm very excited to be back. I was excited when I heard that you wrote another book because as a Washington, D.C. tour guide, people often look to me as an authority. And it's humbling to remember that I don't know everything. There are still new things to learn, new things to discover. And what I like about your books is that they help me discover things that I just didn't know about. I'm curious, how would you describe your new book, DC Scavenger, how would you describe it in your own words? And how's it different from your first book, Secret Washington, DC? This book, The DC Scavenger, it's more of an active pursuit and exploration of the city. And so there are 17 different neighborhoods throughout DC that are highlighted, and each neighborhood has its own distinct hunt. And so you are actively solving these four line riddles in a neighborhood and you are walking throughout the neighborhood and to find and solve these riddles and to locate these places throughout the city. And so it's really more of like amazing race meets tour of DC meets uh, learning a little bit about the city and a different neighborhood and so forth. Whereas the first book secret DC, that was more like a guidebook kind of book in the sense that There were different entries that you would read and you would learn about off the beaten path places, uh, you know, different sites and locales, also hidden histories, but that read more like you could read that, right? It was written more as a text, Um, whereas this is, this hunt is more like you're solving different riddles and you are um, finding these places. So it's more of a, of a quest. I think a quest is a good way to describe (laughs) what it is. And when I first received the book and I was trying to decide which, you know, order to do them in because there's 17, like you said, and each one is its own neighborhood. Now in the book, you have them in alphabetical order, which is a good 
way of not passing judgment about which neighborhood uh, you might prefer over another, but they're in alphabetical order. Of course, what I did is the first thing I did was opened it up to the National Mall, which is where I spend the most of my time as a tour guide. And I sure. started to uh, look at some of the clues and some of the riddles there. And so I'm curious how you think someone who's not a tour guide or not engulfed in DC tourism might think about receiving the book and how they might want to get started with it. Yeah, that's a Great question. I'm going to give you kind of two different answers, and I don't mean to be wishy-washy, but I do think there are two different ways that you can kind of approach this. So one would be if you live in a neighborhood that is featured in this book, I find that some people who I've talked to, and I just actually did a hunt this past weekend with a group, some of them who lived in the neighborhood, they really liked exploring their neighborhood first in the sense that they already had, you know, they're very familiar with their neighborhood. And so that gave them a little bit of confidence that they'd be able to navigate that hunt a little maybe easier than another neighborhood. But then at the same time, every single person who lived in that neighborhood, we were in Noma, uh, H Street slash Trinidad. That's one neighborhood hunt altogether. And every single person, though, had told me, wow, like I knew this one and I, I was able to find this one and I was familiar with this one. But they each at least had two to three different clues that they had never even seen, never had heard of that were surprising to them. So that was kind of fun for them to explore their neighborhood in a different way and to discover some new surprises that they weren't, I think, thinking that they would come across. The other approach, which I think I would lend my, which would lend more to me just because I am someone who likes to kind of go outside of my neighborhood, maybe more so than your average person and go to different parts of the city that I don't know as well that would be my approach is to choose a neighborhood that I'm not as familiar with. Um, so for example, when I was designing this hunt, Calorama was an area that I really surprisingly did not know that well. And so me kind of like navigating the Calorama area and discovering different places and call boxes and different sites and so forth, that was really fun for me. It was obviously much more challenging, but it was more fun for me in the sense that I got to explore a brand new neighborhood or one that I just had no uh, familiarity with and got to pretty much get to know it, especially because I was devising the hunt, right? And so I was kind of learning a bit, a little bit more and picking and choosing and choosing routes. So it it depends if you want to start with more comfort, a neighborhood that you already know. But also I think it's fun to kind of go somewhere like Anacostia with another neighborhood that I really enjoyed creating because I don't go to Anacostia as much as I would like to. I go there, I go roller skating over there actually, and I go biking over there. But in terms of walking around the neighborhood, I don't do that often. And so this, I was like, wow, these are great murals and what a great art spot and what a great theater. And and so it was fun to kind of explore places during that. So I would recommend getting out of your neighborhood, getting out of your bubble, going to another neighborhood that you're not as familiar with and learning a different part of the city. That would be my recommendation. And I'll add that probably a lot of people listening to this podcast don't live in DC. They're going to be visiting for a weekend, a week, however long their trip is. And so they're definitely going to be going to the National Mall and you've got a chapter with that and you've got chapters for some areas that are quite close to the National Mall, like Southwest DC and Capitol Hill. But I would say for folks who are from out of town who are really looking for something different, unique, not something that your typical tourist is going to do. An example of Colorama, a very, to me, interesting neighborhood that I, like you, don't know very much about. That could be a really interesting place to go and explore. Yeah, I think I absolutely. And it's 
you mentioned the National Mall and I went back and forth because I included the National Mall as one chapter and I included the Tidal Basin as another chapter. And I went back and forth in in thinking, do I include them? They're not technically neighborhoods. Am I getting too kind of loosey-goosey with what I'm calling a neighborhood? And even in my book, I mention, while they're not act technically neighborhoods, right? I also couldn't in my I for myself, I just couldn't omit them. I thought they're so key and integral to the fabric of the city. There are areas that have so much to explore. There are areas that people want to explore. And they were, they ended up, I'm so glad that I included them. They both, National Mall and Tidal Basin were so fun. And I mean, it was like a treasure trove. If anything, National Mall in particular, I had to narrow it down. You know, I, I could have had 40 clues in that chapter. And I think I narrowed it down to, you know, 25 or 26. I, I had to look, but it, it was... There was no way that I could omit either, right? There's just so much to see and so much to discover. Well, I'm glad you didn't omit them. And if you had, <laughs> I might have complained about it. I, was, I would have gotten an email. I know I would have. <laughs> but like you said, it's about the quest. It's about the hunt. And to the extent that you're you're looking for these historic artifacts, you're looking for these really special places yeah, sure, nobody lives on the Tidal Basin, but that doesn't mean that there's not incredible amount of things there to see, and that's why so many people go there. So I agree with you. In the end, I think you made the right choice. Good. I'm glad. Me too. Now, to describe the book a little bit more in depth to the audience, because this is an audio podcast, so we don't have a copy that we can send through people's earphones, to describe it, this is different from your first book. You said your first book was more of a a guide or a reference, and this is an activity book. So the pages are on spiral binding, and there are you know sections where you can write in the answers to the clues um, in pencil, or I, I suppose if you're really confident, you can use pen. Uh, there's always the debate about that. And so this is definitely meant to be an activity book. And in each chapter, there are clues that consist of a photo and what you called the riddle, although I was calling them uh, poems when I was writing out my notes for this episode, because many of them do rhyme like poems. And so I'm really curious, did you take all the photos? Did you write all of the riddles slash poems? How did you logistically accomplish all of this? <sighs> a, lot, a lot of work. Yes. I wrote every single one of the riddles slash clues. And to give you a little bit more information about that, so this is part, and just like my first book, Secret DC, DC Scavenger, they're both part of a series. And so my publisher, they do different cities throughout the United States. And so there is, you know, DC Scavenger, there's St. Louis Scavenger, they're, you know, they're all around the country, same with Secret DC. And so they do give you a format in the sense that there is kind of a template, you know, so that they're structured the same since they are part of a series. And so the four line riddles were, you know, that was already kind of um, the requirements, I should say, were, you know, a four line riddle. They could rhyme in whatever way the author wanted to do. I chose to do AABBs. The first two lines rhyme, the second two lines rhyme. Um, I And each line was about anywhere between, let's say, about, you know, nine to 12 syllables, right? There was some flexibility with that. And so I wrote each rhyme. I definitely Googled a lot of like what rhymes with, I used, you know, rhyme zone and rhymes. There's so many different sites because after a while, you know, you, 
you want to find as many rhyming words as you can. There are some words you just, it's hard to find a rhyming word. So, you know, I, I found myself using words. A li- I had to repeat certain words, you know, just to find a, you know, a good rhyming word. In terms of the photo, yes, I took every single photo myself with my iPhone. And the point was, was to take a either like really up close zoomed in photo um, or like a photo of part of the clue, but it was kind of a little bit obscure. So the photo should be help. It should be giving assistance, but it's it shouldn't be as obvious that you know exactly what it is. What was nice about this book was that because I could take every photo myself, I as opposed to my secret DC, I those were photos that I you know were I was given um, permission from different photographers and different establishments that I credited throughout my book, which of course they're high resolution and they're wonderful photos. Um, but it was a lot of, you know, kind of seeking those photos out and having to get those photos to be included in my publication. Whereas these photos were, everything was on me, which of course is more work, but also then you're kind of, you know, you have ownership of all of it. Um, and then in the on the riddle, there's the photo, there's the four-line riddle, and then there's a little piece of artwork, you know, you can call that clip art. My mm-hmm. publisher added that. So mm. um, I'm looking at example, for example, in Capitol Hill, Eastern Market is one of the riddles. And so next to that, the piece of artwork, the clip art, is a little basket of produce. You know, there's like lettuce in it and so forth. That That's the clip art that my publisher added to each clue. So you kind of get three different things, right, to help you. The riddle, the photograph, and the little clip art next to it. And it's also worth saying that the clues are not of equal difficulty. At least to me, they weren't. Where yeah, no. some of them, like, for example, I was doing the National Mall chapter. That's the one I did first. Some of them I knew right away just by looking at the photo. I didn't even have to read the riddle. Others, even after taking all three into account, I found were quite challenging. So how did you decide how to do the mix of, you know, easy, medium, hard, very hard? Yeah, it's, and you know, what's so interesting is that like what's easy for someone is not easy for someone else, right? And on the, on the flip side, what's challenging for some is not challenging for another. My goal in this book was for each hunt was to kind of combine Historical aspects, so of course, some monuments and statues and so forth. That's such a huge part of DC. Artwork as as well. I wanted to incorporate um, art structures and murals and really play tribute to the incredible artists in the city. Um, I wanted to include, like, if you go in more of the neighborhoods per se, like include you know bookstores and libraries and some. DC institutions, some restaurants and so forth. I wanted to kind of have a nice variety of places and not just strictly do monument statue museum, monument statue museum, which I think a lot of people start to think of um, when they think of DC, especially individuals who don't live here, right? Who are um, visiting from out of town. I really wanted to showcase, yes, those are important parts of the city and they're integral parts of the city and they're incredible places to visit. But so is, you know, Ben Bowl, and so is that beautiful mural of RBG. And so is the library in West End that people go to. You know, so I wanted to make sure that I showcased a number of different places, waterways and stuff like that, too, that make up the city. In terms of creating the riddle, there were some, obviously, that were just 
really, there were some riddles that just like solving them were a lot easier to write than others. There were some that had more historical aspects. So I, I did research just like you would do for any kind of uh, guidebook and making sure that I had some dates or some, you know, um, correct individuals and giving a little bit of history. And there were others that I was like, huh, I never knew this place existed, but I kind of like this art structure and I really want to include it. And so I would research the artist behind it and when he or she created it and so forth. So um, it was not my intent to make some really hard and some really easy, but I think that just as kind of it came organically with having a wide variety of places included, I think that just kind of ultimately lent to some places were just a little easier than others to find. Um, Also, I should say, you probably realize this, but every place on the hunt has to be somewhere that's outside in the sense that you don't need to go in anywhere. So if it's a museum, then it's a place outside of the museum. It's, you know, you're not you're not required. There's no, um, no one will ever have to go inside for anything. So that also, um, it's great in the sense that everything is accessible and, and no one has to pay admission or get, or stand in line to get into anywhere. You don't have to worry about hours of operation and so forth. But at the same time, because it's only outside, I had to be really strategic in sense of like finding an actual, you know, is there a sign that will stay there and will, you know, three years from now still exist? You know, is there, a mural that I think will stay there. You know, those kind of things too played played a role in what had longevity really uh, was important. Of course, it, you know, I don't have a crystal ball and I'm sure not every single thing is going to stay there forever. It's not, you know, humanly possible. But that was something that I really, really thought about when creating and finding these spots to write riddles for. And another thing is just making sure that I was – including not just a wide range of places. I talked about, you know, art and historical structures and different landmarks and so forth and restaurants, but also the the individuals that I included of different clues. I wanted to make sure that I included, you know, clues of women and men and individuals of color. And, you know, I try to be as inclusive as and, and diversify as, as much as I could. That was something that was really important to me as well. So I, I tried to kind of, <laughs> it was a tall order. I, um, I, I did the best that I could. So hopefully that's reflected in the clues as well. I think tall order is generous for the amount of work that Shirley went into creating this game. And I think it's important to call out that these all are outside. And it's important not just for, you know, we're still coming out of COVID reasons and people still like doing things outdoors, but also because it means you don't have to worry about the hours of operation, whether you're here on the right or wrong day. You know, if you can get around D.C., you can find the places in the book. And I am a bit of a competitive person myself. As you may know, I have the Tripax D.C. Monumental Trivia Tour, which is its own trivia game around the sites. And so I I always want to complete the quest. When I start a chapter, I want to make sure I get all of them. And so there were a few of them I was going through, and I got most of them, but there were a few that were left over. And those, I guess what I considered the the harder clues. Now on the trivia tour, I have some ways of dealing with, with this in real time, right? If it's a group that's, you know, having a harder time with the questions, or maybe they're from another country and they don't know as much about 
U.S. history, I can swap in some easier questions or I can give clues or hints. Obviously, with this, it's a published book, so it's a little harder to do that. So I guess my question for you is, what advice would you have for someone like me who they got through all the clues, all of them except for two, and now they're stuck? What's the best way to go forward from there? Yeah, that's a great question. So I included in my book um, that if you do get stumped and you really just can't find, like you said, that, you know, that one last or two clues um, in my introduction in the book, you know, every book has, you know, um, there's the acknowledgments and then there's the introduction part at the very end of my introduction I include an email address that I designed specifically for this book. It's DC Scavenger Hunt 17, because there are 17 neighborhoods in the book, at gmail.com. And it's again, it's in the book that you can email me. And I am happy to give some extra hints. And if it just comes right down to it that you know you have tried and you have tried, of course, we'll guide you to the right answer. So I thought no one has taken me up on it yet. No one has actually contacted me yet. But that email address, I I, cha- I check once a day or at least every other day and am happy to help give guidance if anyone wants it. That's really interesting and cool that you offer that. I suppose I could have emailed you with the two that I was missing. Well, one thing I actually did, and maybe this is overkill, maybe this is not what you intended, but you know, because it includes the image, I could go on Google Images and I could use the riddle to kind of search for various things and see if I could find the corresponding image on there and and see if uh, I could identify it that way. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I did, so I, I mentioned a couple of times that I did this hunt on Saturday and I'm, I, because it's so fresh in my brain, that's why I kind of keep going back to it. So we did Noma, Trinidad and H Street and there was this one clue and I'm not going to give it away. But for me, because I live this, I live in Trinidad, so that's where I live. Um, this particular clue I thought was going to be one of the easiest because I notice it every day. I, I bike a lot. And so I ride by it and I walk by it and I see it and it's, it's in a pretty prominent area in the neighborhood. So it's not, you know, kind of off the beaten path. And I thought it was, and the picture I thought was very clear. And literally, I think there were, I think we had maybe nine teams or 10 teams. I think four of those teams were like that. The one clue I couldn't get was this one. And it was that one over and over again. I was like, wow. And I realized that they were all individuals who did not live in the neighborhood, which makes sense because they're not seeing this image or this this spot every day like I am or people who live here. And it's also, um, without giving away, it's not eye level, right? So you either have to look up or you have to look down to see it. Um, and I realized that, huh, that added a whole nother layer of complexity in finding that clue. But when I was designing it, that didn't uh, dawn on me. So it, it's it'll be very interesting which clues are more challenging than others. Um, and I think everybody will kind of have their own opinion on it, right? Now, of the 17 areas that you featured, I'm curious to know which one had the most treasures that you didn't know about before? I had mentioned Calorama that I didn't know that area very well. Um, but I actually will say DuPont Circle, and not that I know DuPont Circle very, very well, actually. I'm there quite a bit um, for various reasons. But I say DuPont Circle because that was the one hunt that I kept having to narrow down. At some point, 
I think it is my biggest hunt of the book. Um, there are 27 clues in DuPont Circle, which is a lot. Um, I wanted to stick around between 20 and 25. And I had to take out at least four or five clues because then I it was kind of going too far out and so forth. Then I had people going a little bit too far walking. There were so many places that I wanted to, to include that I – that surprised me, actually. And I mean, of course, DuPont Circle is a lively, bustling, dynamic area, but I really struggled with narrowing it down so that that wasn't a hunt that included, you know, 40 clues. Another one, and I'm sure you're not surprised, is the National Mall. I mean, that could have easily been a hunt of 50 clues, right? Um, but I, I knew I knew that going into it, um, that wasn't as surprising as I would say DuPont. I would say downtown also had a lot of clues. And of course, like you 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 know this going into it, but it was a just a lot of places that I couldn't that I could have included that I was just I couldn't include all of them, right? Or else a hunt would take you days. And I don't know if anyone wants to do a hunt that takes days. <laughs> well, I agree that DuPont Circle has so many interesting things around corners behind buildings and alleys that one does not surprise me in the least I don't know I, I don't exactly know why it surprised me um but it but it did my goal was so each neighborhood I tried to keep within two miles so that you were it was being like walkable and that you are covering some distance but of course not covering too too much distance that it made it inaccessible I tried to choose neighborhoods for the most part that were metro accessible or at least you know relatively easy to get to. I wanted to include all four quadrants. That was very important to me. And neighborhoods, like I said, walkable, like they're, the goal is not to ever have to get in the car, right? Is to be able to like park or metro or whatever you're going to do and then go on the hunt and navigate it and traverse it by walking the entire time. So that those were some of my goals in creating and thinking that maybe a, you know a neighborhood might take 90 minutes or two. It just, it, right? It really depends though on how fast you're walking. Are you doing it fast? Are you doing it at a leisurely pace? Are you competing against someone else? Are you, are you getting all the clues easily? Or, you know, so I think it, it's going to vary. Of course, it's going to, it's going to really determine, it's going to depend on how fast you're going and your ability to solve the clues and get there. But I think overall, my goal was, you know, no more than about two hours for each hunt. That was my goal. I think that's probably about right. And I do appreciate that these locations are either metro accessible or they're relatively easy to get to because they're close to other places that are metro accessible or easy to get to. And just to mention for folks listening, this does not include the suburbs. So this is DC only. It does include all four quadrants of DC, but it doesn't include Virginia or Maryland or any of the suburbs. Not that they don't have great treasures and gems, I'm sure, but the amount of work you would have had to put in. So that book would have been tremendous. It's interesting because my first book, Secret DC, I did include um, parts of, you know, Northern Virginia and a couple places in Montgomery County. And so I would say, I think about like 85% were DC and the others were, you know, Alexandria and some Silver Spring and so forth. In DC Scavenger, I actually asked my publisher, my publisher's in St. Louis. So a lot of times they really rely on, you know, the person, the author who lives in the city, their expertise, because they don't live here. And I said, what are your thoughts? You know, my first book did include Northern Virginia and Maryland and the D.C. area. DMV is such 
a unique area that, you know, many people do include, you know, and, and I am included in that, you know, how could I have a book and not include Arlington and Bethesda and so forth? And they kind of gave me the, the thought of, well, everything needs to be walkable. And so if you think that that's doable by including some neighborhoods in Virginia and Maryland, feel free. Our advice would be to stick in the district. And I thought that was great advice. And But I, at the end of the day, it was my call. Um, I, I chose to just do DC. Like you said, it would have been a really big um, effort. Who knows though? Maybe I'll do another book and I'll do another scavenger around Northern Virginia or, you know, <laughs> that there's, <laughs> I don't know how many hunts I have in me. I was a lot of walking and a lot of work and I really enjoyable work, but it's definitely a, uh, it's a big undertaking, which I enjoyed, but we'll save. We'll save. I'll keep you posted. Now, as someone who has spent time in all these different areas, I am curious to know, and you're not allowed to choose the one where you live, so this one doesn't count, but of all the places that you've been now, which area of D.C. would you say is your favorite? That is such a great question and a hard question to answer. My favorite, like my favorite to visit, my favorite that I would want to live in, or is there a specific? Let's say for the sake of the fact that most of the audience is probably visiting and, you know, lots of people who visit. They go to the downtown tourist sites in the National Mall, and they'll often say, I want to go to a neighborhood as well to see kind of the local culture. And many of them wind up in Georgetown because that's like the tourist neighborhood. You know, it's a great neighborhood, but it's, you know, a very specific type. So I think I'm curious to know, you know, what your favorite is so that if people are like, okay, I want to go to some neighborhoods. I don't want to go to just Georgetown. Uh, what do you suggest here? One neighborhood, I would say I did U Street and Shaw together. Um, it was hard for me to decide and it would just made sense in terms of the location and just kind of like the distance I wanted to be covered was to combine them. I love U Street and I love Shaw. One, because there's so much history on U Street. So I think that there's great theaters that you can go to. There's great food. There's, you know, um, there's some still great like jazz clubs, you know, old black Broadway. So U Street would be one of my choices. I also love Shaw area. I'm a big foodie. So for me, Shaw and U Street, um, especially Shaw, lends itself really well to just eating at really great, unique, and diverse restaurants. So that would be a place – U Street slash Shaw would be probably my first answer. Another neighborhood, and honestly, it's it's more – so. it's a beautiful neighborhood, and I worked in this neighborhood for many, many, many years, is Capitol Hill. It's, I just, I have, um, I have a lot of connections with Capitol Hill. I have this, you know, a very strong affection towards Capitol Hill. I was a teacher there for 17 years. So I got to know the Hill very well. I love areas like Eastern Market and the little parks. And I love Congressional Cemetery. Capitol Hill, I think, you know, you think of all government and so forth. And yes, that is part of it, but it's also such a tight knit community with wonderful business owners and wonderful, it's family driven and, um, it's just a lovely community. So that would be my second, I think. U Street, Shaw, and then Capitol Hill, I would say. But I like them all. I like them all. <laughs> that's that's the very diplomatic answer, of course. I know, I know, um, I know. I had to I had to put that in though, right? I agree with you. Shaw does feel like the foodie neighborhood at the moment. Doesn't mean it necessarily will be for forever, for all time. But for right now, I feel like in the past couple of years when I've gone to fancy restaurants or foodie restaurants. They've all kind of been in that area. And yeah, Capitol Hill is really interesting because 
it includes the Capitol building and the Library of Congress, but then it also includes a lot of stuff to the east of that. But most people, from my experience and my observation, they stop at the Library of Congress at the Supreme Court and they don't go further east. And so they're missing out on what's a great neighborhood. I will say, and I put this in my book too, so in every neighborhood chapter, right? So every neighborhood is its own chapter. The beginning of each chapter, I have a little bit of an introduction, which you probably saw, right? It's about, I tried to keep it to about 75 words, some are a little bit longer, but it gives you a little background of the neighborhood, right? It might give you a little bit historical background. It kind of might tell you like where it is in reference to other places in the city. It also gives you like a reason, like what that neighborhood is usually known for, right? But I also try to include a little bit like to give you an idea of like where to kind of start in the hunt and kind of where you're going to end in the hunt, right? And some are, some are clues. Some I'm just very blatant and kind of tell you like start on this bridge. <laughs> um, but others are kind of a little bit more you kind of have to solve it. But to give a little bit of guidance for the Capitol Hill neighborhood, because exactly what you said, if you think about Congressional Cemetery, which is all the way east, right? It's, you know, 17th Street. And then you go all the way to the U.S. Capitol or slash Union Station. You know, the hill is big, right? That is, I would say, not the most clues in my book, but the the largest hunt in terms of distance covered. It's a lot. It's I even say like put your walking shoes on for this one because you are covering a lot of ground. There's just so much, right? And so, and I wanted there were places that I wanted to include that I was not willing to. Like Congressional, for example, I love Congressional Cemetery for so many reasons. I've done a number of book events there. Um, individuals are so lovely. The grounds are beautiful. I love, there's so many dogs there. It's it's just, I think it's a huge part of Capitol Hill. It's a pillar of Capitol Hill. Um, but it's 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 a little bit out of the way in terms of like all the other clues, right? Like you, you definitely kind of have to go there and then walk a few blocks to kind of get into the rest of the neighborhood hunt. But for me, I thought there was no way I couldn't include it. And for folks who are listening, they might be listening and thinking, okay, my town's got a cemetery too. And what's so special about a cemetery? It's, <laughs> it's one of those things where you just, if you if you don't know, you don't know. And hopefully people will come and check it out and kind of see why so many people who live in that area like it so much. Now, I have heard a rumor, and I would, now that I have you uh, here, I would like to know if it's true, that you have another new book in the works. <laughs> yes, I am in the beginning stages. I've been writing it for the last couple months. Um, it's a food book. It is uh, eats and eateries around DC, and I think the surrounding area. I'm still working through what's being included and how far I want to go outside of the city. But yes, it's going to focus on food, and so think uh, restaurants, of course but also food markets, food halls. Um, I want to give some love to different breweries and beer gardens and mixologists and just food and drink throughout the DC area. And so, yes, that has been, it's been my, a dream project. I've always, I mentioned earlier that my husband and I are big foodies and I've writing about food is one of the things that I love. And I've always wanted to write some kind of food publication. And so being able to write this book is a dream come true. It is, it's been really exciting in the sense that I've gone out and I've interviewed a number of chefs and restaurateurs and mixologists and beer masters. And it's, I've met so many people and I'm just kind of in the very beginning stages. And so 
It's a lot of research, a lot of good eating, a lot of good um, drinking <laughs> involved, and uh, but all for the sake of research, of course. And yes, so that I'm hoping will be out into the universe early to 2024. So I'm thinking probably spring of 2024. I'll I'll keep you posted. But yes, that is a project in the works. Okay. So the suspense is killing me. But in the meantime, for folks who want to go out and pick up a copy of DC Scavenger, what's the best place for them to look for it? And do you have anything else you want to plug while I have you here? Yeah. So a couple places. Um, one, my website as secretdcbook.com. You can order that book along with my first book. And if, if you want a signed copy, then that would be one of the best places to buy. But then local uh, bookstores around the city, uh, Solid State Books on H Street, um, East City and Capitol Hill, Parks and Prose. There are numerous locations, you know, the Wharf, um, Upper Northwest and Union Market, Kramer. So most of the bookstores around the city uh, carry my book. We'll, we'll stick with local and support <laughs> local business owners. Of course, the big entities, they uh, they carry my book as well. But that's where I would say would be the best place to look. Yes. So you can go look it up on Jeff Bezos's website. But I, of if, course. if you buy it when you come to D.C., it, it actually is a good excuse to go to a bookstore. So you have a reason to check out the local bookstore scene. Yeah. Oh, and I should say also like other places like Steadfast Supply and like Shop Made in DC. Well, I did a pop up at Shop Made in DC, but like other places too that sell like DC focused uh, things, like gift shops, like White House gift shop and so forth. They also carry my books too. So bookstores, yes, but other of those kind of entities too carry my book as well. Both books. Very cool. Well, folks can pick up a copy when they come and they can play the hunts and have a good time. And congrats on another book. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure to talk to you. I feel like I could talk to you for days. So thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Thanks for listening to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. To see the show notes from today's episode, get additional resources for planning your trip, or to book a Trip Hacks DC guided tour, visit triphacksdc.com.